You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. And B Frank, when we're right, we're right. Michigan once again beats Ohio State third year in a row. A closer one, uh, but Ohio State not really in the mood for moral victory. 30 24 is the final. Um, you know, kind of one of those games where the final drive was really the first time where I had any inkling that maybe Ohio State might win this game. Um, and then mm-hmm. Kyle McCord's limitations were laid out before us yet again. But it seemed like for most of the game, every time Ohio State would, would sort of make a move, get closer, Michigan would answer right away. Just just seemingly staying out of reach for, for most of the afternoon. Yeah, I... Again, credit to us. We were right, right on the money here. So that would never brag. Just, just talking about the facts. It, it felt like a situation where Michigan had a chance to really run away with it in the second quarter, and Ohio State answered very nicely with their own seventy-three yard touchdown drive, uh, following the Roman Wilson touchdown catch. And then the third quarter, even though Ohio State was able to tie it up, fourth quarter, they they brought it back within three. Like you said, it never really felt like they were threatening to win the game until the last few minutes where they, they had an opportunity and Michigan's defense made enough points to get to get by and win this game. I would say I, I truly did expect Michigan to to win this one fairly not easily, but easier than they did. I kind of thought this would be a scenario where it was you know, 30 to 17 and Ohio State scores on a final drive, much like Penn State did against both of these teams to make the score look closer than it was. To their credit, Ohio State did have a chance and it came down to their their biggest weak spot that they've had literally all season long. And that's Kyle McCord at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, the, the frustrating thing is this Ohio State team was really built to win this one game. Uh, you know, the defense has been much improved once Jim Knowles came over as the coordinator yeah. from Oklahoma State. Um, and, you know, foremost this season was a strength of this team. Obviously, if they could have gotten better quarterback play, they would have loved that. But, um, I mean, they, they've been running the ball extremely well. There was uh, a couple of drives on Saturday where they were just going away from the passing game completely, just running the ball down Michigan's throat, um, which – you know, they're very familiar with Michigan doing that to them. But now three years in a row, Ryan Day has lost to Michigan. Jim Harbaugh was in this situation not too long ago where yeah. he's got a very good record every year. He can't beat Ohio State. He can't beat Michigan State. LOL at uh, the second one, how that was ever a thing. But um, now Ryan Day is, uh, you know, he, he won his first year, but the next three have been varying degrees of embarrassing. And especially now this year, there's almost certainly not going to be a, uh, a life preserver thrown to Ohio State after championship weekends. Um, I, I think any chaos scenario they're they're still probably going to be on the outside looking in um because there are just so many teams still in the running for one of the four playoff spots this was the season came up short they said michigan's inevitable we're going to keep talking about this uh for at least a a couple more weeks yeah it's it, it is kind of a question if you're ohio state of what do you do now like it 
I'm not going to say the Ryan Day experiment has failed. But like you said, on the flip side, when Harbaugh was losing these games, granted, he wasn't he was struggling all around for for quite a while. It took him a bit to get the ship righted. This is, you know, Ryan Day came into a very good situation at Ohio State. You know, they're consistently winning games, winning big games, playing in big games, landing prize recruits. I think the question comes down to two things like at the end of the day, do they believe they can get a quarterback better than Kyle McCord? I think the answer is clearly yes. But do they do they still believe that Ryan Day should be the guy to to run the ship? Because if you, I mean, if you look at it, they they seemingly have one fatal flaw every season, and it is what Michigan has taken advantage of the last three years. Can he can he put together a, a better team than he has this year? I don't I don't know. Like this this team was loaded on both sides of the ball. There are stars and weapons and NFL talent at all positions, but the quarterback and like it or like it or not like that's just the fact of the matter and i don't know if you're ohio state where you look elsewhere yeah i mean quarterback play has never been the thing holding them back before either um you know it was, it was the defense they fixed that could probably get you for them to have yeah could, could probably get just about any quarterback from the transfer portal this year if they really wanted to go that route um get mm-hmm. an established starter um you know, Will Howard, maybe the biggest name in there so far, but obviously more are going to uh, hop in there in the, the next week or so. But yeah, I, this this is a really good Ohio State team, just less flashy than we've seen in the past because they weren't winning by 40 every week. Um, it, was, it was more of a ground and pound, realizing your limitations. Marvin Harrison Jr., a little bit wasted you could almost argue um just not having a better quarterback to throw to him still in over 100 yards got a touchdown in this game but he'll probably end his career never beating michigan um which is shocking for a player of his caliber who can have such an impact on the game um it's yeah and i don't i don't i don't really know what you do from here i i I think you'd you'd be insane to fire him i understand the frustration and now like ryan day can't pull a shaka and kind of run away. Um, he can't go to Texas A&M because Mike Elko has gone into that cult now. Um, just really jarring scenes from that press conference today. Um, but he, there's, there's nowhere to go. You, I, I think you, you have to, you have to just ride this out. Um, don't want to be in a situation where it's like an ultimatum. Like you have to beat Michigan next year, but that's, Spoken or not, that's going to be the feeling from the fan base because, uh, like, it must be great to get so bored with winning 11 games every year. Um, and I get that, you know, rivalries have a lot more juice, especially this one. But, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's got to be so disheartening. The, the whole season was about this one game and then mm-hmm. you still come up short. Just, it's a tough scene. Yeah, it is, and it is crazy to think that like an eleven and one, eight and one in conference season is looked at as a failure, but that's what it is right now. Um, yeah, and I don't know, I don't know that the twelve team playoff necessarily fixes that if you're Ohio State. Like, yes, next year and years beyond, they can still go on and win a national championship, but losing to Michigan and not winning a championship is basically like the worst thing that could possibly happen. I, I imagine. They would take a national title win over beating Michigan, but I think for some folks they'd really have to think about it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And it's, it's a little different situation than our conversation about Penn State a couple weeks ago. It's like Ohio State fans having higher expectations might actually be warranted. Right. Um, but yeah, the thing is like this year, it's eliminating you from the playoff um, in future years. Still going to be in, but it's not going to be as gimme a schedule now in the Big Ten either. Um, and I, yeah. I think that's that's something to keep an eye on going forward. It was just a pretty weak year for the Big Ten in general. I don't think Michigan or Ohio State was really in trouble um, at all. And, and even like Penn State, the quote unquote other big game on the schedule, um, maybe close on the scoreboard, but largely controlled by the two winning teams. Um, yeah. It's be interesting to see what happens going forward. And now Michigan, um, Brian Ferentz has the opportunity to do the funniest thing in the world. Um, but we will, we can talk about that later. Um, Oregon, Oregon state, uh, last a little more as conference opponents. Allegedly Jonathan Smith had already told his team the day before this one, that he was going to be going to take the job at Michigan state's. If that is true, it is more or less reflected in the results. Uh, 31-7 win for the Ducks. Bo Nix continued to cook, um, and it seems like everyone uh, who covers the sport nationally is just putting Oregon into the playoff at this point. They have been dominating everyone on their schedule the back half of the season, um, and, and just any game that could be considered a big one, they have gone out and made sure it was over fairly quickly. Yeah. The the offense looked awesome. Defense played very well as well. Like you said, if if the reports are true uh that this team was basically a walking carcass at Oregon State, then it makes sense with the result. Uh but to to Oregon's credit, they put their foot down. They put them to the sword and they they made sure uh that this game was over in that second quarter by just running it up uh, a couple touchdowns there and then really leaving no doubt in the second half. They didn't, again, they didn't have to score much, but it is just the way they shut down the run game for Oregon state, which has been their, their main weapon all season long, 24 carries, 53 yards. The longest carry of the day was six yards. Like this Oregon team really took advantage and knew what they needed to do. And whether or not Oregon state was playing wounded or not, who knows? Who cares at this point? It's a rivalry game. You got to get up for it. And they they simply did not. Yeah. And uh, or Oregon's defense has flown under the radar a bit this year, but there have been certain games where they've really flexed their muscles. Uh, the Colorado one comes to mind. This one, another one, just taking away what your opponent does well. Um, you know, Dan Lanning's a defensive guy, so that's obviously been a point of emphasis for him. Um, so a little different than you know, some high-flying Oregon teams of the, the past. They've been able to keep that offensive identity, but also really strengthen the defensive side of the ball. Um, so if they do end up making it into the playoff, I, I think it's a difference maker in that can't really take them lightly in the same way that you would before as more of like a gimmicky football team, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I th- it's funny because when Dan Lanning got hired, we kind of talked about the idea of like defense working in the Pac-12. And now you see so many teams leaning on their defense more where uh, the Big 12 has kind of turned into the old Pac-12 of just run and gun, high-flying offenses. Yeah, they figured it out too late. 
It's yeah. like, just should have should have done this last year. And yeah, might might still have a conference. Uh, all right, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. I will I will start with my good. I'm going to shout out Kentucky beating yeah. Louisville. Um, every year that we come into this game, which isn't necessarily often, but every year we come into this game and Louisville is having a top 15, top 10 season. Kentucky is on the outside. Kentucky wins. They have. Yeah, I, th- I think this is more exclusive to football. Um, basketball, I, I don't think it carries the same juice, but Kentucky despises Louisville in football. Um, and this game very clearly meant a lot to them. Uh, Ray Davis going out on top and now declaring to the NFL. But just anytime Louisville comes in having a great season, it seems like Kentucky takes that personally. And they they go out with just so much hate in their hearts. This is the the fifth straight time they've won this game. Actually, I, I did not realize till I was reading up on this, but twentieth straight regular season non conference game that Kentucky has won. Um, so there's there's a reason A and M was interested in Stoops before the fan base revolted. It's a pretty good coach. Um, Kentucky's not an easy place to win for football. Never has been, but Kentucky's been a consistent winner, and uh, this is cherry on top of. Uh, another season that's going to end in a bowl game. Yeah. Great win. That was my upset of the week. Uh, really just a fun game that, that really could have hurt Florida state had they not been able to uh, pull the rabbit out of their hat late against Florida um, because they were really banking on this Louisville, Louisville team to be at or around the top 10 for uh, the ACC championship. And if anything crazy were to happen, they really needed that that extra bargaining chip in their pocket or on their resume. And uh, yeah, so this is a t- tough loss for Florida State in the end, but certainly uh, a tough way to end the season for Louisville, who has played so well all year. Yeah, just when they when they struggle, they struggle. Um, I, I think the the outlier blowout loss to Pitt was was not great, yeah. but yeah, it's a game that. Was winnable for Kentucky, um, just with how the the seasons have gone. But yeah, they they took advantage. What was your good from last week? It was rivalry week in general. All the rivalry games, regardless of the records or of the stature of the teams, lived up. Obviously, that Louisville Kentucky game brought on an upset. Georgia Tech gave Georgia a very good game. Michigan Ohio State obviously was great. Washington State down to the wire in the Apple Cup against Washington. Florida State gave Florida uh, Florida gave State hell for for three and a half quarters. Really, one bad drive defensively, which has kind of been the same thing all year for Billy Napier's team is just a lack of discipline late in the game or in crunch time killed them. Another classic finish in the Iron Bowl. Like there are just so many great games uh, that we were able to see this past weekend. Uh, in in terms of uh, just the rivalries. And then, of course, some snoozers. The 16-7 Clemson win. Mississippi State has once again been involved in just a boring football game uh, this season. And, yeah, just just a lot of really good, fun rivalry games to to watch at the uh, close of the year. There's a lot of uh, throughout-the-record book games because a lot of those on paper, how the seasons are going, obviously not – not teams at the same level, and I mean the ones that you could maybe argue weren't super close, but at least we got those out of the way early. Like Oregon, Oregon State um, didn't didn't mess up our Saturday. Same with the Egg yeah. Bowl. Um, you you hope for more from the Egg Bowl, um, but maybe we'll get that going forward with uh, 
with Levy now in charge of Mississippi State. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Saturday was was a lot of fun. It was a uh, it was an appropriate cap to the regular season. I will I'll agree with that wholeheartedly. What was your bad? It's got to be Auburn's fourth down defense. There's there's nothing else that that can really go there. Uh, fourth and goal from the thirty one. Credit to Milrow. Credit to Isaiah Bond getting open. But I I simply do not know how you let a receiver get open or get separation in the end zone. Take a penalty. They get at worst they're getting the ball a little closer. But take a penalty. They have to still make a play. Uh, and just a horrible horrible way for uh, Auburn. Auburn season and game to end there, but just just another, like I said, another classic. Ten years after the kick six, we have now uh, the, the the throw to the corner. I don't know what the hell they're going to call it, but uh, throw again from Milrow, who, like we've talked about all year long, deadly accurate on the deep ball. That was certainly a deep ball across the field and down, uh, and and a heck of a catch. Oh, the only reason that wasn't my bad is because it was my ugly. Um, just the <laughs> the Auburn collapse in general. Um, just falling down on the punt return before yeah. the ball even got there uh, was a tough scene. It's like, all right, we're finally in a situation. Auburn is going to go from getting blown out by New Mexico State to beating Alabama and ruining any playoff hopes the Tide have. Just have to, you know, be normal, catch the ball, run the clock out. Can't be normal. Just impossible. Um, And then fourth and 31, fourth and goal from the 31, there is just no situation in which that should result in a touchdown. And also just the way it was, it's not like it was just a straight go route. He hit him in stride. That was like at the end of the play. (laughs) Yep. I, I, I don't understand how you as a defender just let that ball get behind you at that point in the play and results in touchdown. I have watched an alarming number of reaction videos from the stands of Auburn people just <laughs> shell-shocked um, yeah. with, with good reason to be. Um, so I, I just, I know I I probably would have just turned the TV off and sat in silence for at least an hour if that was a team mm-hmm. I actually cared about. But yeah, that's just the brutal, brutal way to, to lose that game. Um, and the fact that it's, Again, against your rival, it just makes it that much worse. Yeah. Uh, my bad. I'm going to go off the beaten path. This is a uh, not a lifetime achievement award, but it's cumulative. Uh, I'm going to shout out Fresno State. We uh, we started off so strong this year. Um, and really, there is no reason that Fresno State should not have been at least in the tiebreaker to make the Mountain West title game. Um they're four and two in conference. The uh, winning teams ended up at six and two the last two weeks of the season. They lose to the two worst teams in the Mountain West, New Mexico and San Diego State. I'm not 100% clear on the tiebreaker rules. Um, I think it was some something uh, BCS similar that ended up uh, deciding the three team tiebreaker, but Fresno State's at least got to be in the conversation and. I think they probably would have been one of the two teams in the title game. They just took care of business against, uh, you know, New Mexico and the fight in Brady hoax, but they did not. So just a pretty sad way for what was a, a really promising season out of the gate to end. 
Yeah, it's a it's a very weird tiebreaker. I still don't necessarily understand, but I just know UNLV loses to San Jose State, who also moved up to six and two. But UNLV will play for the conference championship against Boise State yeah. in a pseudo home game at Allegiant Stadium. So riddle me that. I I can't. I I mean, didn't we we everybody missed the uh the BCS and that's, yes. I, I, I feel like essentially what this is. Um, but got to give one more opportunity for, for the Rebs. Um, but yeah, I mean, really should have just been like Boise state. You've been here before. Let's let San Jose right. state and, and UNLV duke it out. Um, but have to give uh, one more opportunity for UNLV at least, because from the sound of it, at least one of, Barry Odom and more likely Brennan Marion are going to be taking jobs elsewhere. Um, so one, one last hurrah uh, for them, I suppose. What was, uh, since mine was the, the collapse in the iron bowl, what was your ugly? Yeah, that probably should have been my ugly, but I'm going to go with uh, UCLA getting smoked by Cal to close out the last regular season game in the history of the PAC 12, at least for now. Uh, as we know it, very weird mixed emotions uh, hearing the announcer, the announcing crew talk about this is the last Pac-12 after dark ever. And and just thinking of all the great times we've had betting horrible games or games that really should not even be on TV that were uh, because the teams just were, were so bad for so long uh, in terms of Pac-12 football. But there is a silver lining to it. Cal is now bowl eligible. Uh, UCLA struggled in this game after Ethan Garbers went out hurt. And yeah, Dante Moore really has struggled this season, even after uh, getting benched two interceptions in this game. So it was just all around ugly for UCLA. We'll see how this uh, they handle this heading into the bowl game this year. He is a freshman, but also yeah. Um, you know, big for the ACC, Cal getting to bowl eligibility. Um, and yeah. UCLA, uh, there have been some rumblings about uh, Chip Kelly, potential wild card in the coaching carousel. Um, you, you know, just if he keeps, if he keeps just tumbling lower and lower down the the ranks, um, and then just starts to resurrect uh, downtrodden programs that you know have never really been anything. Kind of like uh, Rich Rod now at Jacksonville State, getting them to the first yeah. bowl in. Uh, in school history. Um, so Chip Kelly might be back on the job market. And I, I know there would still be a lot of schools that would be more than happy to have him. Yeah. You know, at some point he will end up at Florida Atlantic. I'm sure like all yeah. the greats. I, I mean, everyone does. Uh, Tom Herman, great four and eight season this year. Huge. And it's, uh, Huge. Yeah. You, you just, you go there for a year, get some sun and then back on the grind. <laughs> Uh, all right. The best thing I saw last weekend, almost uh, calamitous, but we're ignoring the poor clock management. Um, but just want to say uh, the game-winning field goal for Hawaii against Colorado State, I believe it was his career y- long, uh, 51 yards was the the final field goal. Basically, could have spiked the ball and saved everyone the trouble. Um, we got a first down with, I think, eight eight seconds left or so, and then 
instead of clocking the ball as a normal would, we got to go chaotic and literally the last game of the night. Everyone sprints onto the field. Kicker doesn't really have a chance to get set. Drills a 51-yarder to to win for Hawaii. Um, it was chaos. It was fun. And it was, uh, it was a happy way for that story to end. So that was, uh, that was a, a fun closing to the, the entire weekend. Yeah, it reminds me actually that my ugly should have been the clock, like the game clock operator in the Nebraska Iowa game because for some ungodly reason I watched the whole thing and there were about 15 seconds that didn't run off the clock at some point that that should have and Iowa ends up hitting the field goal in the most chaotic two minutes of the entire game. Uh, but the best thing I saw snow football in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, Iowa State, Kansas State put up a, an absolute shootout in Manhattan in just torrential driving snow. It was beautiful. It was awesome. It was everything football should be. That was my uh, favorite upset because, um, as you said, it was uh, Farmageddon was played in snow. Um, yes. So I don't, I don't know what that double combination word would be, but even in the snow, they almost they, they combined for just under a thousand yards of offense, um, which is super fun. It was not one of those garbage, you know, 13 10 football games, which Iowa plays without needing the assistance of snow. Um, but Big 12 was a lot of fun this year. Chaos, a lot of uh, not great teams, but this was, again, a great way to kind of close out the season last week with. Not only the snow, which is aesthetically pleasing, but also a really fun football game on top of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. All right. Uh, so we've got conference championship week. Um, let's go through the the power five and, uh, and get some picks out to the folks. So ACC, Louisville, Florida State, and Charlotte on Saturday. Obviously, no Jordan Travis. Who you got? I'm going to take Florida State in a tight game. I think they still have it. I, I think Louisville will will struggle a bit following the loss. The defense for Florida State really stepped up uh, in that game against Florida late. The, the, the front four, really the pass rush, was dominant late in that game, and I think they're going to move that forward into uh, this game against Louisville. They don't need a ton out of the offense, or at least I don't anticipate they will. 21, maybe 28 points, and that, that really shouldn't be... Uh, too much to ask for there. I don't know if Rodemaker's healthy. Is he a go after taking that huge hit late? But, uh, he he came back in, so I yeah, I would think so. Which seemed insane that they would allow yeah. him to go back in the game. But on that, I'm going to say he plays, and I think he is uh, more than good enough to to win them that game. So I'm going to take Florida State. I'm going to take Florida State as well. I I think it'll be. Uh, Pretty similar to what we saw against Florida, uh, more of a defensive struggle, but ultimately, even without Jordan Travis, Florida State has a lot more talents up and down the roster uh, than than Louisville does. So let me go with the Knowles here. Mm -hmm. Last year in the Big 12 for Texas, they will take on Oklahoma State, who was uh, very fortunate to get into this game at all. Um, that was another one of the the great games from Saturday escaping BYU. Otherwise this would be a rematch of the red river rivalry. 
I did not think Oklahoma State looked very good last week against BYU, no. who is not a, a great football team themselves. Um, I, I think it's got to be Texas here. Um, it would be very Texas to lose this game, but I, I think all signs are, are pointing to Texas here. They've been a pretty consistent team all year with the one-week exception of the, the Oklahoma loss. Other than that, they've been very solid. Oklahoma State been a lot more up and down, um, and I, I think Texas is just going to have to find a way to key in on Ollie Gordon and, and limit what he's able to do. Um, if they do that, I think they'll – They'll win comfortably. So I'm going to go with Texas here. I agree. Make Alan Bowman beat you and you're going to win this game. Michigan versus Iowa. I don't know if we have to break it down. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to take Michigan. What about you? I'm going to take Michigan. I think this game could get ugly. There is a very real chance the under still hits. It is a, a whopping, a massive 35 and a half points right now, which uh, who knows? Who knows what Iowa thinks of that, but I'm going to take Michigan. Yeah, I it would it would just it would be one of the funniest things ever if Iowa wins, um, <laughs> but I don't I don't think they will. So uh, can I go can I go with Michigan as well? But uh, Oregon Washington, um, one of the I think two games of the weekend. This will be standalone on Friday night. Splitting that up nicely in Vegas. Rematch of the Instant Classic, Oregon and Washington, this time on a neutral site. As I said, Oregon has been playing great football down the stretch. Um, seemingly more momentum coming into this one. But who do you like here? I'm going to take Oregon. I think it's very similar to the original game. High scoring. Uh, really, the, the last team with the ball is going to win it defenses like stops will be at a premium both offenses are very good i think washington's just been playing with too much fire lately and uh they have not been putting away teams that they should obviously a rivalry game is tough especially one that uh you know is the last time in conference four teams as the apple cup this year between washington state and washington washington state also playing for uh bowl eligibility in that game so there was a lot on the line for the cougs I just love the way Oregon's been playing. I think Bo Nix right now, if if you're going to go by the un, unwritten rule of a guy on the better team should win the Heisman, then Bo Nix is the Heisman winner right now. If if you're going to just go overall numbers and how they've affected the play, it's got to be Jaden Daniels. But Bo Nix is 1B if Jaden Daniels is 1A. So I'm going to take Oregon. I think it's close. I think it's a tight, fun game throughout. I'm going to go Washington. Uh, I, I feel obligated to do so. Um, you know, Penix's numbers have certainly been down over the, the later course of the season, but part of that is just they were so gosh darn good to start. Uh, but right. I, I got to go with Penix. I got to go with DeBoer. I got to go with Ryan Grubb, who may or may not be Indiana's next coach, but <laughs> if he is, I have to get a soundbite supporting him before. Yes. Um, so. You know, DeBoer Lifer has been with him for over a decade now, following him, you know, from, from Sioux Falls to Eastern Michigan to Fresno State and now to Washington. Um, so, obviously, one of the reasons that Michael Penix has been so good as a Washington Husky. Um, and, yeah, I, I know Oregon looks better coming into this game. I have to put some stock in what I have already seen when these two teams played before. Um, so yeah. I think it'll be another great game, but I'm going to go with Washington to, to eke it out. Um, I, I love that they do not play scared. That is what winning teams do. 
um, mm-hmm. going for it. Fourth and one from the 29 in the tie game against uh, Washington State. That was Kalen DeBoer saying, I want to win this game. Um, Matt Eberflus could never, but never. We, uh, <laughs> we, we like to see coaches try to win games rather than just playing to not lose. Um, so right. I got to reward that. I, uh, I like Washington here. The final one of the week, Georgia, Alabama. We thought a chaos scenario could emerge early in the season, but you know, Nick Saban, right of the ship, survived some close calls, and Alabama is back here against Georgia once again. Who do you like here? I think it's got to be Georgia. I would love to see the chaos that would ensue if Alabama were to win. Uh, but I think Georgia is just the better team. I think that they'll have a great defensive game plan uh, uh, for how to bottle up this Alabama offense, which a number of teams have have been successful at. And I think offensively, uh, they've just got too many weapons for Alabama to slow down. So I think Georgia wins in a in a good close game. Yeah, I agree. And until until uh, Georgia loses, got to keep rolling yeah. with them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I think you know Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey getting healthier and healthier with each, each passing week. Um, so I think this is a it's a big opportunity to to go off against Alabama. But yeah, I, I'm gonna go with the dogs here, and that'll do it. Um, I mean, next time next time we talk, the only game left will be Army Navy and then bowl season. Um, so. It's been a fun ride, but we are we are through feast week on the the other side of the equation. A uh, little bit lighter week this week because it was such a heavy one last week. Um, Maui was outstanding. Battle for Atlantis was was outstanding. Yeah. There were uh, smaller four team MTs that really t- told us a lot about um, you know some some lesser thought of schools and smaller conferences, which is always great to see. Um, I'll let you start us off. Who was a a winner for you from Feast Week? Yeah, I mean it's got to be Purdue. Like you win Maui, you're gonna get you're gonna get the 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 overall crown uh, of this. It, so many good fun games. They they really showed, especially the guard showed a, a big step up from last season. The ability to kind of take pressure off of Edie needing to, needing to do everything for them on the offensive end of the floor and um, just being able to hit open looks. That was that was huge for Purdue this week and that's exactly what they did. Defensively, they played okay. They still got they've still got a ways to go with more physical and more athletic teams, uh, which they saw, but they were able to bottle up a couple of really solid players over the over the weekend Hawaii and uh yeah, so Purdue gets the gets the shout for me. Uh, I, I am by nature a hater. Um, I, I don't know that I saw anything that told me anything different about Purdue with the exception of Lance Jones. I think that's a very under the radar transfer in the off season that, uh, fits what Matt Painter needs, uh, very well because he can handle, um, you know, some backcourt duties and also kind of gives a, a steadier hand because, when I look at a guy like Braden Smith, um, one of the knocks was, you know, when he goes up against a much more athletic backcourt, 
he shrinks. He doesn't play as well. That was pretty much the Tennessee game outside of also the 10,000 fouls that were called combined. Like that was, yeah, those are two great teams. Just a very, very bad basketball game for the viewer uh, trying to get into any sort of rhythm or flow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously three great teams that Purdue beat and ultimately won the whole thing thanks to Lance Jones hitting the buzzer beater to end the first half against Marquette. Um, that that turned out to be a huge bucket yeah. when all was said and done. Um, but this is, this is Zach Eady. He is, he is the team. He is very good. Um, you have to find ways to push him away from the basket um, offensively and then defensively get him in, in pick and roll situations. But yeah, this was, I, I saw a lot of chatter about, you know, people looking for Purdue to bounce back from last year. It's like, all right, this is a much better Purdue team. It's like, look at how well they're playing. This was PK eighty five last year. It's like we we did we had this exact conversation about Purdue. Um, and my my official hater comments on Purdue is uh, nothing they do before March matters um, because that's fair. This is fair. Like the like they they are objectively a very good basketball team, but we can't also yeah. sit here and pretend that they did not follow this same exact script in the non-conference last year the two teams that stood out were purdue and yukon um and you know yukon is doing that again with a, a slightly different roster purdue doing it again with largely the same roster at the addition of lance jones and i think ultimately he is the key for them because he takes ethan morton out of the starting lineup and gives you someone who can play basketball so that is that is no small thing um fletcher lawyer looks a little more comfortable. Braden Smith, when he's not going up against Tennessee, looks a little bit more comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. But again, they looked very solid against uh, tough competition in November last year. Um, that is the, the one the one caveat I will add there. Haterade flowing through your yeah. veins. Um, yeah, Kentucky is actually fun right now, so I got I to gotta use it somewhere. But uh, I... I like how Villanova has bounced back from that brutal loss to Penn. Um, yeah. Can't completely forgive them for that. But in the battle for Atlantis, I saw some very good things. I think Eric Dixon was a guy that I, I really expected to be a focal point of this team from the start. Um, and it was a little bit of a slower start to the season. But in Atlantis, he really impressed me, especially against North Carolina, 34 and 10. Um, not not necessarily the the strongest overall field compared to what this tournament has been. It's usually pretty on par with Maui. Um, but, you mm -hmm. know, thanks to this being like the best Maui field ever, um, Atlantis was a little off to the side. But I think this does a lot for Villanova and just restoring a little bit of faith in Kyle Neptune because we had already seen some questions about, you know, is this the guy to truly – uh, follow Jay Wright. It's like last yeah. year they closed strong. It was still not a strong overall record. And that pen loss set off a lot of alarm bells. Um, but I, I think right now, especially the, the combination of the final two games, Dixon going off against North Carolina and the beat down they laid on Memphis, who had really been coming into their own as a, a force to be reckoned with, um, should alleviate a lot of those concerns.
Yeah, they they were up there for me as well. I think winning the game playing Villanova basketball, it's kind of something that got lost last year. It it really felt like they did not know the system, even though it's the same system really that Jay Wright ran, which was kind of weird, shocking for sure. Um, but they've got four guys that they can truly rely on to be alpha scorers and whoever's got it on one night is going to be the focal point of the offense. They've got Justin Moore. They've got Dixon. They've got TJ Bomba. They've got Tyler Burton. It's a question of what can they get from their bench? I think that's been the problem the last couple of years. And fortunately for them, they've had just these really good starting fives that they haven't had to worry about it. But right now you've got four right there, but you're missing something like Mark Armstrong can be that guy, but he only shows it in spurts. Jordan Longino has been fine, but he's really a better bench piece. Brennan Housen is not ready for that. Hakeem Hart is a guy you thought could step in, but really has not done it. So I don't know where they find that. They don't need it at this point. Like they're showing they can win games playing this, you know, one guy alpha scorer and everyone feeds off of that. Yeah, but hey, I mean, St. Joe's next. St. Joe's gave Kentucky everything they could handle. So maybe that'll be a, a sneaky, tough one. Yeah. Uh, the other the other team I really wanted to shout out Colorado State. Yeah. Um, you know this this has been a team that has been a a major player in the Mountain West more often than not. Um, Isaiah Stevens still there, still playing very well. Um, obviously, you know some of the the big names from the past teams. David Roddy have moved on. Um, he is he was hurt for a lot of last year too, so I think that killed some of the momentum that Nico Medved has been building. But. Uh, just a complete dismantling of a very good Creighton team uh, was not something I saw coming. I thought maybe it would be a very competitive game, but uh, Creighton yeah. had looked so good coming into that game. Um, you know, Colt Brenner finally seeming to come into his own and, and being more of a force on offense, but holding Creighton under 50 points is very impressive. And combined with the the experience that you get, out of that point guard uh, spot with the scoring he can also provide. Um, that's that's really good and really going to make things interesting in, in the Mountain West, which is going to be a, a, a pretty solid conference once again yeah. with uh, four or five teams going to be in the top 50. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think this was really their first chance to show off. I mean, Boston College is Boston College, so there's not really a ton yeah. you can say about that game. Creighton is legit. Creighton is a Final Four contender. They're a, a team that's expected to compete for the top of the Big East. You've got Colorado, who's struggling a little bit right now, but has played well uh, throughout this season, or expected to do well throughout this season. You've got a Washington team who's still a Power Six team. You've got St. Mary's, who, while they've struggled, they're still very talented. Those are all winnable games coming up for this Colorado State team. They could realistically be going into uh Loyola Marymount basically with 10 wins or excuse me 11 wins already on the season and probably inside the top 15 which is remarkable remarkable yeah so somebody to definitely keep an eye on because yeah yeah that, uh, that's not necessarily an easy schedule coming up but like you said this was their first opportunity to really show that against good competition so they can keep it rolling they'll they'll shoot up the poles in a hurry yeah um somebody else i'm going to give a shout out to is byu 
They have uh, a win earlier in the season over San Diego State. They beat Air- beat down Arizona State, I should say, uh, and then beat NC State over Feast Week. This is a team that is right now a metric darling. They are 10th in Ken Palm, top 20 offense and defense right now. They're just playing pretty darn well, and I, d- I don't know how big a threat they will be in the Big 12. They might not be whatsoever because it is a good league right now. Houston is great. Baylor is great. Oklahoma looks very good. Uh, Cincinnati still hasn't lost. TCU has still some game. Kansas obviously is there. Texas is good. Uh, There's so many teams in general uh, that are very good in this uh, Big 12. BYU has come out unscathed so far through the the early portion of the season. They will actually have a, a surprise probably undefeated matchup against Evansville coming up in a couple games before uh, really getting into big play, but they're they're another team to shout out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One I'd say one of the most surprising teams in uh the whole country cuz really yeah. you said coming into the the Big 12 what has been looked at as the toughest basketball conference really didn't expect BYU to do much of anything um certainly yeah. a, a transition period of sorts but yeah they've they've come out firing and looking like a classic fun byu team that scores a lot that can also defend um so that's that's very intriguing if they can if they can keep it up um but yeah it's it's been it's been very fun to to watch them play against i guess now also uh other power five teams since they are that, but yeah, um, coming out of the gates. Yeah. This is not a team that I thought would be undefeated certainly, or uh, just having the level of success they are and, and still being so fun to watch. Turns out Mark Pope, very good basketball coach. Um, two other teams, quick mentions, Liberty six and oh, they have a win over uh, Vermont, Wichita state Furman this year. And then Bradley is the other team who also beat Vermont, uh, but has wins over UAB, Utah State, and Tulane as well. So two mid-majors to keep an eye on. Bradley returns a lot from last year's team that went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Liberty working with uh, still some very good players, as we've talked about already uh, this season. And Bradley lost arguably their best player to Nebraska, who is also undefeated. Um, Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, good things going on down in Peoria. Yep. Um, for for losers, I've got a, a couple. Um, first of all, Stanford. This was a make or break season for Jared Haas, and it looks like a make potentially. Had Arkansas on the ropes in Game One of the Battle for Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately lose that game in double overtime. And then it ends with a 22 point loss at the hands of Northern Iowa. And this is not your older brother's Northern Iowa team. Um, they are just, they're not, um, they're, they're going, they're going to struggle to get out of conference wins this year. Um, I, this, this is the last season. It it has to be. They they have some fun pieces. Uh, Stojakovic obviously is is very fun, um, but still really struggling to defend and get timely scoring. And I, I mean, it's he's gotten good players, especially by Stanford standards uh, through the yeah. door. It's just 
has not translated to the court and it looks like we're on track for another season of that. Yeah, it's been disappointing to say the least. Um, I think given given the roster they even have now, there are a few games that they should be winning that they've they've kind of given up. Like you expect them to close out that game against Arkansas. You Santa Clara has been solid the last couple of years. They're solid again this year. I think you, you expect a better game in that one than a 12-point loss. Michigan was very much a winnable game for Stanford, and they let that one slip as well. And then Northern Iowa's fatigue, getting down, whatever it is, but can't can't have that one, and that's a, a bad loss for uh, the Cardinal. Yeah, Michigan was terrible the rest of the tournament. Like you can look yeah. at that one game and be like, "All right, it's you know not a blowout loss, so whatever." But yeah, Michigan was very bad against uh, Memphis, very bad against Texas Tech, um, and then Stanford is the one team everyone looks forward to, to playing. I guess that was Northern Iowa's only win as well, yeah. and they, as I said, blew them out. What can you do? Who uh, who do you have as a loser for last week? DePaul. DePaul. Yeah. DePaul. DePaul. It pains me. I, I don't I don't want to do this. I don't want to be like this, but you're one in five. You've lost to Purdue Fort Wayne. You've lost to Long Beach State. You've lost to San Francisco. And you lost now recently to Northern Illinois at home by double digits in a game that they really were never in. Uh it was a double digit lead. For the Huskies at halftime, the lead ballooned, I think, to 20 at well, over 20 at one point. Uh, largest lead was 24. And they just outplayed DePaul massively on DePaul's home floor. And it, you know, Northern Illinois is five and one right now. You can say what you will about that. Um, I think, I think the end of this Tony Stubblefield era is coming sooner than, uh, sooner than the end of the season. I don't know that DePaul necessarily fires coaches mid-season, but I think at some point the other shoe has to drop. The can- the straw has to break the camel's back. Like it's it's simply unacceptable for a team that wants to be in a power conference and wants to compete in a power conference to be putting out this type of basketball. Yeah, I I don't I don't think uh I don't think this experiment is going to continue past this season. I think we're back to square one again with DePaul basketball. Um, there were there were certain highs of this era. There was, uh, you know, a lot of games, good good efforts, uh, competing against good out of conference opponents, beating some good out of conference opponents. But this year so far has just seemed like a hard reset back to. Yeah, the DePaul we've grown to know um, for twenty years or so. Um, it is truly jarring how long it has been. And yeah, I unfortunately I watched the entire Northern Illinois game. Um, it was never close. And yeah, Northern Illinois, I I came out of that. It's like I don't know how good they are because DePaul <laughs> is clearly awful. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I would love for Northern Illinois to be good because it's also been a, a pretty long time since they really had a pulse as a program. Um, yeah. they, they seem to be improved, but also DePaul is clearly just very much not it. Um, so it's going to be uh, so, some interesting battles with Georgetown, maybe, 
but the rest of the Big East, I'm not really seeing wins there. Let's hope. I hope, right? <laughs> uh, I know DePaul plays Seton Hall very well every year. Um, but there was a stat since DePaul has joined uh, the Big East, they have the most losses in conference of any power conference team. That was a mouthful, but basically they've lost more than anyone else uh, in conference since they joined the Big East. I had the numbers somewhere and I cannot find it, but it's something along the lines of 60-ish wins to 200. Okay, 66 wins to 255 losses uh, since they joined the Big East. Just one time have they had a winning record. Never have they won double-digit Big East games. Yeah, that's not great. No. Uh, you know, missed the days of Conference USA um, yeah. back when that was a formidable conference. But, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. Can't really say anything else. Like, they've, they've just – simply it's never hard. been they've just simply never been good yeah um i mean honestly back to ray meyer like that's it's it's been a while this is a city that obviously loves basketball um and yeah. I'd, I'd like to say would really support depaul if depaul became good but we don't really have a precedent um <laughs> so i i can't say that with 100 percent confidence i'd like to think so but yeah it's uh they you know like i said like they they made some progress but now it seems like they're as far away from being a winning program as ever it stinks it's a real shame yeah and that's not that's not sarcastic no uh last one for me penn state um oh and three at disney to finish in dead last at the uh ESPN events invitational capped off by a loss by Mike Rhodes and Ace Baldwin to their old team VCU. Um, mm-hmm. And they are still contractually obligated to go back and play at the Siegel Center at some point within the next couple of years. Um, so that'll be also fun. Penn State, not really a team that uh, thought would be much of anything, but uh, just watching them play for this weekend was the first kind of extended look. The roster is just uh, in disarray. Like, it's Ace Baldwin. It's kind of cute as Wahab. And then you're not really getting contributions from anywhere else. Like, you, you've got some bigger names, like DeMarco Dunn from North Carolina um, could give you some points. But the most part, if you just key in on those two guys, you've got Penn State's offense figured out. So a lack of depth is, is probably going to catch up to them. Um Certainly did this weekend and uh, in Big Ten play too. Uh, that that could be a cause for some major concern. It is a very weird roster construction. It's not Louisville last year bad, but it's certainly not good. Um, and it's it's going to be a challenge this year. That is uh, that is for certain. So unless Ace Baldwin has a lot of 20 plus point games in him. I, I don't know that they're going to be terribly competitive in, in a lot of these big 10 games. That was it for me for losers. Who else did you have? I just have one more and it was really just a single game. It was the New Mexico state Louisville game uh, from this past week. Uh, six, 56 combined fouls, 40 of them called on New Mexico state, five players, six players, excuse me, fouled out for the Aggies. 
Uh, they finished the game with just four players on the floor and still managed to keep it a single-digit overtime loss uh, at Louisville. The Cardinals shot 49 free throws in this game to New Mexico State's 17. New Mexico State shot almost 60% from the floor and really had multiple chances to win this game, and they just could not do it. Would have been one of the just all-time Louisville losses in a long list that Kenny Payne has already racked up. Fortunately for him, it did not happen, but man, oh man, was it close. Very, very, very close to just unraveling any of the goodwill he might have built in New York. Um, yeah. Which is just the sad state of affairs for the Louisville program because they lost both games in New York, but people came out of that saying, it's like, maybe they're a little better um, up mm-hmm. until Kenny Payne had a press conference, but uh yeah this would have undone it very quickly and yeah very fortunate to get out of there but it it's yeah it's it's not great especially since like you look around al alice can barely get on the court at arkansas um you would you would love to have someone like him on the floor um because the the guard play has been not quite as limited but still pretty limited and and without Mm -hmm. sort of the star power so yeah that Still at the point where any win you can get as Kenny Payne, you have to be very thankful. But yeah, this one definitely should have gone in the other direction. Fortunately for them, it didn't. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it would just be our, our good friends Louisville and DePaul in the loser section. It's every single week. Uh, yep. All right. That will that will do it for us this week. We will see you next week to break down championship weekend in in college football and look at the bowl season and uh conference play in in college basketball so we will see you then